0: Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor, Matt Goldberg, and with me is deputy editor, Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we will be talking about Avengers Endgame, a small indie that not many people have seen.
1: It's just, really the most underrated movie of the year.
0: I just a don't little think... A little underseen gem. I think we might have to describe what it's about. Um, yeah, so this, uh, because it you know was the biggest opening weekend of all time with 356 million. Uh we're just going to assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen the movie. And so there will be discussion of spoilers. Uh if you have not seen Endgame yet, stop listening, go see it and then come back. Um But, Adam, I really wanted to just dive in and get your thoughts on the film because you were not a fan of Infinity War. I remember you came on Slack after you saw the film and you're like, that was bullshit. (laughs) I said said that ending was fucking
1: bullshit. I got on Slack because I was like, baloney. This is stupid. Um yeah, I and like if you're a long time listener to this podcast, you know the ups and downs of my journey with Infinity War. Uh, on our most recent um, mini series podcast, we did, uh, I talked about how uh, I recently watched Infinity War for like the third time, and I like it more each time I see it. But on initial watch, I was not a huge fan of that movie, and on initial watch, I was not a huge fan of Winter Soldier or Captain America: Civil War. Um, I, I was; those movies were fine to me. Um, But in essence, I've never been a huge fan of the Russo Brothers Marvel movies. Uh, I mean, they they just haven't really been my bag. So coming into Endgame, you know, I was certainly excited, but I was like, oh, man, everyone's going to love this movie and I'm going to not like it. and It's going to suck. But I really like this movie. (laughs) I actually like a Russo Brothers movie on first watch.
0: Yeah, I think it, you know, I've. I was, I reread my my review of Infinity War, which was kind of sort of a lukewarm review, acknowledging like, yeah, it's fun to watch these characters banter off each other, but it's all kind of hollow. Um, and I think the reason that, and, and like you, I find that Infinity War is enjoyable on rewatching, but at yeah. the same time, it, it to me, it's very, it's like candy. It's just, it's very empty calories um, because it can't it can't really do what it needs to do. It has, it's all, it's all in a weird way. It's all set up for end game. It's a two and a half hour set up for end game, which is fine. But at the, the, at the end of the day, uh, Infinity War is Thanos's movie. It belongs to this kind of new character who like we had glimpsed before, but didn't really know. And so it's all kind of riding on the villain and end game gets to be about the heroes who we like and who we know and who we have like, 10 years of affection for. And I think that's why Endgame, one of the reasons Endgame works so much better than Infinity War is that you are already with these characters rather than being like, who's the purple man that wants the stones?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and as I was considering, so I was very eager to see Endgame um, also because it's essentially part two of this giant story being told. But I know that the Russo brothers had said that they wanted to make this film feel distinct. And I do actually think it feels distinct. And in hindsight, looking at it, Infinity War is a war film. It's very, it's shot handheld, it's very loose, uh, it's very much trying to be kind of Saving Private Ryan, but that rings hollow to me in Infinity War because I know that, you know, Black Panther is the biggest movie around when that movie came out. Clearly he's not gone forever. You know, Spider-Man, not gonna be gone forever. So those deaths that impact you when you're watching something like Saving Private Ryan, which feel very visceral and very um, disturbing and shocking, in Infinity War just, uh, as you say, it kind of rang hollow to me. Um, Endgame is half a grief drama, which is very much my jam, um, and half a time travel movie, which is also very much my jam. Uh, so it it was kind of perfect. Like I really liked the tone of it. I liked kind of where it went. I liked that it was taking time to get with these characters, because Infinity War is very much like from the very beginning and i do admire the fact that it doesn't waste any time being like we got to go tell everyone about thanos before he gets here it's like thanos is here he's already here um and it hits the ground running and it's just action on action on action uh whereas in game is a lot more thoughtful uh, a lot more contemplative a lot more about these characters there's really not a ton of action in um the majority of the film until you get to the big battle at the end which we'll talk about later uh I just really liked that. So I think in addition to the fact that you're following characters that uh, you like more, like, I don't care about Thanos. Uh, and I still don't think his motivation is interesting at all. Um, in Endgame, like, I care that Steve Rogers, like, it, it touches me that Steve Rogers is spending his time after that jump, after that time jump, counseling others, trying to make other people feel good. Um, which just feels very Captain America to me, and that Black Widow is struggling to find a way to bring everyone back because she can't bear to, um, you know, be with herself because, you know, she's done really bad things in the past, and the thing that saved her was being part of this team, part of this family, and that team is gone now. Um, so all of that stuff just really, uh, really worked for me.
0: Yeah, I think that one of the things that Endgame kind of uh, fixes, it may not be the right word, but improves on from Infinity War is that Infinity War ends and you're like, yeah, I know Black Panther's coming back. But it's not about, what Endgame does is, it's not about how it affects you as the viewer. It's about how does it affect these other characters who don't know that these characters are coming back. So if you're in the mindset of, you know, Captain America and five years have passed and you're like, we just all have to figure out a way to move on, but we really can't. And that's just where we're at. Like, they don't know that there's a Black Panther 2 in the works. Yeah. And so watching them wrestle with it really gives the fallout weight that was not possible in Infinity War. Infinity War just kind of ends. I mean, it's it's it ends for Thanos because it's his story. But you don't really see how it affected your character. You just see them kind of dejected and kind of in shock. And then the film ends. And thankfully, Endgame is all about how do they deal with that? Like, what do they do in the immediate aftermath? And then what do they do in the long-term aftermath that really helps sell the impact of Infinity War?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think it's not a coincidence that, for me at least, the only emotionally resonant um, death in in Infinity War was Peter Parker. Because that relationship between Tony and Peter was so well built out throughout Spider-Man Homecoming, and because of Tom Holland's performance in that scene, that death really got me. Whereas... I never really bought into the Wanda vision romantic relationship. So like that whole death still just falls flat for me. Like I don't feel anything.
0: My wife, my wife made an excellent point. Um, as we were rewatching Marvel movies in the lead up to Endgame, which is that the MCU probably would have benefited from one movie of captain America on the run, like sort of a captain America nomad movie, because Mm -hmm. that would have allowed you to see like, what does cap do when he is, a fugitive, like, and how does he still do good things? But he's now disillusioned. And that film could sort of basically take the characters who were on Team Cap from Civil War and follow them and build up their story. So, like, you get to see Cap and Natasha, like, trying to sort of, you know make their way on the outskirts of you know, off the grid, but you also have Vision and Wanda like developing their romance. And it would have been a smaller film, but it actually think would have been a really important character film that would have helped deepen everyone a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um because that just uh I mean they try and kind of do it in Infinity War a bit. They're like, here's where they've been but um like Cap and Black Widow are barely in Infinity War. They don't do much because they're kind of, you know, they're the centerpiece for the first half of Endgame. So uh, I think that was, you know, they did a solid job of balancing out that story there. But then you get uh, the short shift given to uh, people like Scarlet Witch, who really hasn't had a ton of time to build out as a character.
0: No, it's it's a tough character to know what to do with because she's so it was a character that Joss Whedon really wanted. He really Mm -hmm. wanted her and Quicksilver and he got them in Age of Ultron. Um, the problem is that Scarlet Witch is so powerful, her and vision are so powerful that it's tricky to keep them on the board and also make them the focus without being like, well, why don't they just solve everything? you know, even Infinity wars like, what was she doing up there? like <laughs> it's crazy that she's you know like this is a crazy, powerful person. yeah, no, that's fair um. But I I feel like, yeah, Endgame just feels like the payoff, not just to Infinity War, but all of the MCU and, you know, something I kind of heard as a criticism. And I said in my review, I didn't feel like Endgame was fan service. And I, I still, I think I should make that, I should have been a little clearer. I don't think Endgame is bad fan service. And what I mean by that is... And I'll have an article about this later in the week. But basically, bad fan service is when you betray the story and the characters to give the fans something they want, but it hasn't been earned. Whereas good fan service, which is what I think Endgame does, is it's moments that have been earned. It makes sense why the characters behave in a certain way, why the story goes in a certain way, so that when a thing happens that makes the fans happy, you can – it It doesn't feel cheap.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, something that fans have always wanted to see is Cap wielding Thor's hammer. You could have done that in one of the previous movies, but I think that it was well worth um, – this movie is so much payoff, and each payoff works so well that I was kind of amazed because – uh, that kind of fan service usually kind of irks me a little bit. I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess they did it because like, you know, like it's a thing that happens in the comics, but is it really true to the characters? Is it true to this moment, but everything in every single piece of payoff in end game feels earned. It feels like it's been built up over the course of these 21 films. And I mean, down to lines of dialogue uh, that they crib from the previous films to pay off in this movie. Uh, I think it just works so well. And that moment when cap, um, gets the hammer works as well as it does because they didn't blow their wad too early. They didn't use it in a previous film just because it was a cool thing that could happen. They waited until the right moment where it felt thematically right, um, where you know, Cap's story is literally ending. Thor is in the middle of uh, this kind of crisis of faith uh, and not really, you know, Thor's not doing great. He's not doing well. Um, and I've heard criticisms lobbied against this particular uh, moment that, like, Uh, Why wasn't Cap worthy before? Like, why why couldn't he pick it up uh, in Age of Ultron? Um, And I mean, ultimately, the answer is comics uh, or superheroes, or it's not real stupid. Uh,
0: But I think yeah, you're focusing on the how. You're focusing on the wrong question.
1: Yeah, but I do think there's something uh, cumulative or um, complete about Cap in this movie, and about. Uh, his own journey, his self-awareness. And there's also the fact that, you know, like in Age of Ultron, he knew that Bucky killed Tony's parents and he hadn't told him yet. Uh, That comes out in Civil War and that kind of, you know, that's a a kind of a a piece of red in his ledger that he's been holding on to that he hasn't really said anything about. Um, But, uh, you know, we've seen Cap be the sacrificial hero uh, throughout his entire arc. We haven't really seen him um, kind of own his self-interest. Uh, he's he's selfless to a fault, kind of. And I think in this film, he really kind of comes into his own and he's like, I got to do it for me. Like, I got to do these things for me.
0: Yeah, and I think it, the film kind of threads the needle with being, you know, just because Cap isn't being completely selfless, that doesn't mean he is being selfish. Yeah. that he, It's not that he's like, fuck you guys, I'm going to do what I want. Like, he's still primarily, you know, focused on the mission. But at the end of the day, the film, you know, there's a realization that like Captain America is a soldier and soldiers get to go home. Yeah. You know? And while it's like, wouldn't it be to be great if cap could be cap forever. And I'm like, but doesn't that raise its own issues? Like, yeah. He, don't you deny him his own humanity by being like, you can't ne- like, you know, you can never have anything that you want <laughs> ever. <laughs> Always, well, you know, fight for us until you die. That seems pretty dark. Well, and I kind of loved the, the fact that when he uh,
1: comes in contact with himself from the Avengers, he's kind of annoyed by himself. <laughs> or he's like, you know, I can do this all day. He's like, I know, I know. Yeah. God, you're just hes just like, ah, you're just so insufferable. <laughs> so he gets to be kind of naughty. Um, and, you know, a little, you know, you got to get dirty sometimes to, to, um, to do the right thing. So I enjoyed that aspect of it. I thought that was – I thought that bit of self-reflexivity, which this film is entirely self-reflexive. This is a film that knows that you, the audience viewer, have seen previous Marvel movies and know pieces of dialogue and know um, kind of these pieces of lore and stuff.
0: Yeah, no, I mean it's a film that is – it's not your average sequel. It's not really just a sequel to infinity war. It is the culmination of everything that came before. And the more Marvel movies you have seen, the more you will get out of Endgame, game, uh, which is impressive. It's not that to me, like that is something that has never really been done before uh, no. on this scale. And I think that that's worthy of recognition. Um, but also at the same time, I'm glad it's an ending. I'm glad that we can, Come to a close on this chapter and then start something new so that we're not like, you know, when the you know 53rd Marvel movie comes along, we're like, you have to see all the previous 52 to, to appreciate number 53. Like at some point you want to draw the line.
1: Yeah, it's very much a series finale in this kind of TV show that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And as with many other series finales, it leaves the door open to multiple spin-offs, other versions, other things that are coming later. Uh, but if you want to get off the ride now, if you want to get off the train, uh, you are more than welcome to at the end of this movie. Because it brings to a very final conclusion um, the story that began with 2008's Iron Man.
0: Yeah, and I think... The other thing is, is it, it feels like one of the things that I really appreciate about Endgame is how well it tracks so that, you know, Tony Stark, you know, his behavior fits with what has come before. And I think it really each character, you understand where they're coming from for like they figured out what to do with the main Avengers. And it's nice to have sort of Ant-Man and War Machine and, you know, them at the periphery. But it really is about those six and each of their journeys. And I think it pays off really well here.
1: And Nebula, shockingly. Yeah. Nebula out of, (laughs) out of everyone. She's essentially like a lead character in this movie. And like, who would have thought that she would be so central to, uh, kind of the end of the MCU.
0: Yeah. I mean, Nebula is kind of a nothing character in the first guardians of the galaxy. She's just kind of raw and angry, but then she really evolves in Guardians 2, and then in this one, she really gets a really – I mean, she's sort of repping the whole Guardians yeah. um, side of things. I think they didn't know how to write Rocket without James Gunn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think Jay- Rocket does not – like, I like Rocket a lot, but it's clear that when you take him out of James Gunn's hand, they're like, he's just an angry raccoon, right? Like, well, not quite. <laughs>
1: Although I think I I did like Rocket in Infinity War, and James Gunn does have an EP credit on both this movie yeah. and Infinity War. I'm
0: so curious about like when his work started and what
1: it <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, I would not be surprised if he was on set when they were shooting some of the Guardian stuff and was uh, kind of consulting because he's very protective over those characters. Yeah, so. Um, But yeah, Nebula is is a pretty huge freaking deal in in these movies, and I think it's a a really interesting um, kind of question of can you change your nature, and can you actually change as a person um, and as a human being uh, as much as she is one, uh, and how hard it is to convince your past self that you have changed so significantly.
0: Well, and I think that's – I mean, to me, that's so important with these films on the whole, like watching these characters change and – you know, I think it, it sort of it, – it it talks to you as an audience member. I mean I'm not the same person I was in 2008 when these movies started. And yeah. so you feel like by noting that the characters have changed, you really do feel like you've been on a journey with them.
1: Yeah. Including Fat Thor.
0: I love Fat Thor. <laughs> Fat so Thor good. makes
1: me so happy. <laughs> Fat Thor is amazing, and I kept waiting for them to change him back into Fit Thor, and it never happened. And I was so glad they didn't.
0: Yeah, I thought like, oh, when the lightning comes down, he'll like it'll be like Flash, and it'll be like lightning gave me abs. But yeah. no, he's he's Fat Thor in this movie, and I'm sure he'll probably go back to regular Thor in like the next time he's in a Marvel movie. Um, but fat Thor was the best because not only is it like, does it take the comedy from Ragnarok, but then it's given the weight of like, the reason he's fat is he's super depressed. And I like that the film like kind of juggles the two. Like it, it, it's very funny, but it's also very sad. And the fact that it's able to do both of those is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a testament to
1: how significantly these characters have changed, uh, I don't think you can get away with doing that joke with, like, Fat Falcon or something. Thor is a character who in every single movie he appears, he is completely different. Uh, and I want to talk about this a little later in the podcast when we each run down our top ten Marvel movies. Uh, but I caught a little bit of the Avengers, the first Avengers, the other day. And Thor is so different in that movie. He's and so, so
0: different! He's so different. Do I look to be in a gaming mood? What the hell? Like, he would never say that line these
1: days. And it honestly makes it a little hard to watch because he's so different. But I think think it's great that they were like, yeah, no, like, we didn't really love the direction Thor was going in, so we changed it. You're not beholden to – I mean, to a point, you are beholden to what you've done before. But – I admire the fact that Marvel was able to look at his character and say, look, this isn't really working. He's not that compelling. Chris Hemsworth is very funny. Uh, And Joss Whedon has brought a lot of that humor out in the two Avengers movies. Uh, Let's reboot him for Thor Ragnarok. Let's just do it. Let's just completely change this character's demeanor and make him a bit of a buffoon. Uh, He's still overly self-confident, but in a, in a really silly way. Like he's always, he's overly self-confident to his own detriment. Uh, and not in like a sad way, and like a oh my god, that's so ridiculous way. And I
0: love it. I just love it. Yeah, me too. I think, I think that ability to pivot and and sort of be nimble enough to be like, okay, what can we do to make this work better, speaks to sort of uh, a creative community that that is willing to take chances and not be beholden simply because well we did it in the past so we have to do it in the future because that's not a way to that that's just being stuck. You kind of have to be yeah. w- willing to take some chances. And, you know, they didn't know it was going to work out so well by going for a more comic Thor, but it did.
1: No. And I mean, there there's an inherent danger in that you already have two white dudes who are superheroes in this universe who are known for being very witty and very funny and that's star lord and tony stark so you have to make it different enough um like you want to get some of that humor but you don't want it to come off as like oh you know we're just trying to copy what works so well with iron man and with star lord so i think they did a really great job there
0: yeah i agree um i uh, let, let's talk a little bit about black widow <laughs> yes I liked Black Widow. I don't know. There'll be an article on about this on the site. Um, in fact, it, it, it's it's up right now. You can read it. Uh, the I liked what they did with Black Widow in this movie I, because to me, so it, when she first appears in Iron Man Two, it's basically like a glorified cameo. You really don't know who she is, and then I think what Joss Whedon sort of tuned in on is that she is a character who has a, feels a lot of guilt over the things she did in her past. And she's kind of trying to run from it, but also trying to atone for it. And I think what she does in in end game is she finally manages to sort of, not that she didn't atone for it before, but it, her motivation makes sense. It makes sense why she would willingly go to die and sort of make this decision to sort of add that finality to her character. Um, and I just I think it works pretty well. I think it. I think the. Res- I think Black Widow has always been kind of a pragmatist, but also I like the fact that she sort of her arc is going from sort of devil may care spy um, to someone who is like I have to fix things, even if the cost of my own life. Yeah, it's
1: it, it just. I mean, watching that scene play out. Which I think, I think there's a, a slight miscalculation in that scene with the score. Because I've, I saw the movie twice in theaters and everyone is laughing while they're kind of like firing, like Hawkeye's firing an arrow to stop her and she's trying to pull him back to stop him. Um, and it, the, when I first watched it, I thought that they were kind of uh, like working up a plan to, to get Red Skull or whatever. So like... the the kind of finality of her death comes as a a pretty big surprise because people are are literally laughing when uh hawkeye shoots that arrow and explodes it and then uh he jumps over um but i still think i mean the second time when i was watching it it, i was even more emotionally moved because her sacrifice is so selfless and so true to her character because i mean as, as you say she's uh She's been sending, spending so much uh, time trying to rectify the wrongs in her past, and she can think of no greater good that she could do uh, to sacrifice her own life for the lives of so many others. Um, and the look on her face when she asked him to let go, like she's just so perfectly fine with this choice and uh,
0: perfectly at peace with it. Uh, and it's so sad. It's it so is. sad. Um, yeah. Everything just kind of works. I mean, like, the time travel stuff is a little fuzzy, but it always is. I the, the line What I think about when, like, trying to piece together time travel is just Bruce Willis being like, we could be sitting here putting together straws, like, in Looper, where he's yeah. like, you know, at some point you just kind of throw up your hands and be like, look, just, you have to, like, if you're trying to decode how time travel works, like, I think... I think the time travel aspect will actually do have... A, will have a payoff for the Mar- for the Disney Plus series. I think uh-huh. we're about to start seeing a lot of branching timelines. Yeah. Which allows those series to be connected, but not essential. So, like, if you watch the Loki series, like... Yeah, the way Loki series works is, like, he came out of Endgame... When he got the Space Stone and that created a new timeline. But if you don't watch the Loki series... You won't be lost if you come back to the Marvel to watch future Marvel movies. Yeah, so it's connected in a way that, like, you know, the Netflix Marvel series never really were, but it's not super essential. No, and
1: I think I mean they do an okay job of of explaining by not explaining it. Uh, I think it's still pretty confusing. Where they're just kind of like, yeah, Back to the Future is bullshit. And you're like, but why? And they're like, we don't have time to explain.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, they're basically <laughs> like, your past is, you know, your present, you know, your past is now your future. Your present is now your past. or what? However Hulk explains it, like, I get it. Like, you can't undo
1: Excuse things. Excuse me. His name is Daddy Hulk. Daddy Hulk? <laughs> Hulk is Daddy now. <laughs> Thank you, Scott
0: Wampler. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I... I feel like it's best not to get hung up on the time travel stuff because once you do, it's like, wait, if Thanos from 2014 went into the, if you know, went into the future and died in the future, then 2014 Thanos can't do any of the things that he did with like You just go cross-eyed. You just, yeah. you just, so it's <laughs> so just better to be like, going cross-eyed. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just have to sort of roll with the time travel.
1: And I love the way they used it because, again, this movie is so self-reflexive. I love that they use time travel to go back to these iconic moments in MCU history like Marvel's The Avengers and the beloved classic Thor The Dark
0: World. It makes Thor The Dark World better. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? It makes Thor The Dark World a slightly better movie. It
1: does. I love that they brought Rene Russo back. Um, Fun fact, they did not bring Natalie Portman back. That was unused footage from Thor The Dark World. That's what I
0: figured. That's (laughs) what I figured.
1: (laughs) Although they did get her to record, I guess, some dialogue um, to play in the background for one of those scenes, but that movie that scene, that whole sequence has a lot of emotional resonance for Thor because he's going through this crisis of faith. He's depressed and he gets to talk to his mother one last time and, uh, gets to seek her counsel, which is so great. Uh, and then you have going back to the Avengers, which is just a lot of fun and kind of celebrating that, that moment and leads to the so many stairs line, which is so funny. Stairs. Hulk going down the stairs. Um, uh, which is really great, and then uh, the uh, the Peter Quill stuff I thought was really funny. It's just kind of, again, it's a celebration of these movies that we have come to love, and these movies that without which we would not have Avengers Endgame. Um, and so, uh, you know, watching Peter Quill uh, singing along with his Walkman uh, in a decidedly uncool nature, as opposed to the opening of the first Guardians Galaxy, which does seem very cool, uh, is just a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it's, it all really works together. And I guess it is kind of a curtain call and kind of a victory lap, but it never feels showy in that way. And I think that's because the plot keeps moving, the characters keep growing, like it's still telling a story. It's never just stopping to sort of be like, hey, look at me.
1: No. And even when uh, Cap and Tony go back to 1970, like that could have just been a really uh, like the bad version of that is where they're like, oh, yeah, let's get back into the Hydra stuff. Like, let's show some more of how Hydra is really sinister or, you know, let's, uh, you know, add some some new revelations about S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's like, no, this is going to be about Tony reconnecting with his father one last time and about Cap seeing Peggy and realizing what he's lost. That's essentially what that entire timeline is about. Getting the uh, so the tesseract and the uh, uh, Pem okay. particles are are just kind of the the kind of MacGuffin side effect. Like that's what gets them there. But the real reason for that entire um, sojourn is mostly uh, you know for Tony to have that heart to heart with his father, which yeah. is just really touching.
0: Yeah, it's really well done.
1: Um, and especially and, and watching the movie on the second time and knowing that like, oh yeah, Tony's going to sacrifice himself at the end of this movie. Yeah,
0: no, it, it all, it all comes together pretty well. Um, and then you get to the big battle scene, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> which, which, um, you know, I, when I was the action in infinity war, I felt was kind of a letdown. I yep. wasn't that blown away by it and I'm still not that taken with it. But I had a lot of fun with the big action scene and at the end of uh, Endgame, I was really I was, with it. I,
1: me too, man, and colored me surprised. And I do agree. So, like the the technical aspects of the action of the Russo brothers' movies are like it's just fine to me. Uh, it's not really super remarkable, but. The the way they are able to um, hone in on these specific character moments in these action set pieces, I think, uh, is really spectacular. Uh, I mean, the Civil War airport fight is pretty ugly. It's just like, you know, a big pavement thing. But it's really memorable because you remember Giant Man. You remember, uh, you know, Peter Parker swinging around talking about Empire Strikes Back. That's really fun. And I think they hit the nail on the head with this final battle where they give Every single character beat hits perfectly. Nothing feels superfluous. Nothing feels fan y You never feel, you know, exhausted or tired or like, you know, okay, that's enough punching. Can we just move on to, like, what's going to happen next? Uh, everything has weight. Everything is, is really exciting. I just love how that fight evolves. I love how it begins with the main trio, with Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man going after Thanos. Um, and then, you know, obviously Captain America is the last man standing, and you get this wonderfully picturesque uh, iconic frame of cap alone standing up against Thanos and his army, which iconography is something that I felt has been missing from the Russo brothers movies. And I feel like they kind of finally nailed it in this movie. They finally got some like actual composed shots that feel iconic.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think it was really, I mean, I think one of the strengths of these two of both infinity war and Endgame is that they are paced immaculately which is saying something for one film is two and a half hours the other is three hours and neither one feels like a slog um they're very peppy they know how to move between lines but once you enter that third act of endgame it's all in that same location but even then the action moves you're like okay we're still not at the big like you know it's the three on one versus thanos but we also have like you know what's happening with you know, Hawkeye running from the dog monster things and what's happening with, uh, you know, Hulk and Ant-Man. And so it's, it's still building. It's still moving things along and getting everyone where they need to be for the climactic battle.
1: Well, and it continues to evolve. Like once the heroes show up, which is such a like, you know, stand on your feet and cheer moment, which I will admit... The first time I saw the movie, when all the heroes came back, I let out a little sigh because I was like, now we're going to get into the big CG battle sequence and it's going to be kind of boring and everyone's just going to be punching and you're not going to be able to make out what's going on. Um, But then I came around to it when I saw like, actually, this is full of really great character
0: moments. Yeah, Uh, well, it's it's a it's a battle with structure. It's not just, you know, characters punching things like. There's a mission, and the mission is don't let Thanos get the gauntlet. Yes. And I think by keeping – like, again, so the battle has a through line. It's not just like we're going to be able to – our guys will outpunch your guys. It, there is there is a story within the battle.
1: There's a story within the battle, and it has a very clear narrative structure with its own twists and turns. It begins with a three-on-one. It It – comes to what you think is an ending with cap versus everyone else then everyone comes into battle then you have the big you know kind of helms deep or i guess it would be return of the king um you know clashing of the forces coming together uh and then it evolves into like then it's a football game it's a game of keep away uh you know and then it becomes a game of like get the glove off thanos's hand or or don't let him close his hand it continues to evolve in ways that are surprising so it's not just consistently keep must kill thanos like, that gets boring very quickly. So uh, I thought they did a really terrific job of of, of really arcing that out. Because, I mean, Endgame is really perfectly structured in, in a three-act structure. Hour yeah. one is a grief drama. It's the fallout. It's the, what do we, where do we go from here? Which as a massive fan of the HBO series, the leftovers, it felt very much like the leftovers. And so that made me very happy. Hour two is time heist. It's the time travel movie. And then hour three is the battle and, and the, the, uh, you know, kind of denouement after the battle. Uh, and it just flows so well.
0: Yeah. It all comes together very, very well. I, I had a blast with it. And I think that, you know, what the other thing that's great about it is that I don't think that anyone is going to be like well if they don't top this battle in spider-man far from home what's the point (laughs) like everyone gets that this is a unique special thing and that doesn't mean that the other marvel movies like i think for a while marvel movies and this is when they had their their crappy creative committee was like the something big has to fall out of the sky like that's how our movies end something big falls out of the sky and i think now that the movie like The movies aren't beholden to being like, well, the climax here has to top the climax from the previous one. Like, the movies can just be their own thing. Like, they can just sort of, you know, and I'm sure, you know, Spider-Man Far From Home will have, like, a really fun third act. But I don't think anyone will be bummed that, like, you know, it doesn't have every Marvel character in it. I mean, I'll be bummed. Okay, well, yeah, but you're greedy. I'll be like, where the fuck is Thanos, guys? (laughs) This is
1: ridiculous. Got to have more why, Thanos. Why can't Spider-Man just call Black Panther to come in and help? Which is what we all assume would happen after the first Avengers. And I think they sidestepped that pretty well uh, as we covered in our mini-series podcast. Plug, plug, plug.
0: Yes. But also, <laughs> I think, you know, to that point, I think Marvel has now seized upon, like, I think S.H.I.E.L.D. was kind of a awkward thing to have. Like, it was something that they thought would be cool to have. And they're like, okay, but now you have this police organization that purposefully injects itself into these conflicts. So we're gonna have Shield show up and then so just by disbanding Shield, they kind of just figured out a way around it. Um but now I think the solution is going to be like we've all got our own problems. You know, yeah. like if you can if you are a superhero and you can handle this on your own, handle it on your own. <laughs> and so like I mean that to me is the Captain Marvel solution. Like there are a lot of other planets out there. That's that's the now <laughs> the party line. Other Which planets. That's- That was really perfect.
1: Uh, I was very curious how they were going to handle Captain Marvel in this movie. And the answer is she's barely in it. And, you know, she comes in at an opportune time, but she doesn't necessarily save the world. Um, I mean, those are – that's a really hard character to thread through because she's just so unbelievably powerful. But I think they did the right thing by showing how powerful she is, showing Thanos get, like, genuinely scared of her and basically piss his pants. Uh, and then what does he do? Like, headbutts her or, like, knocks her away or something? He and headbutts
0: she- her and it doesn't work. Yeah,
1: which <laughs> is great.
0: The only way to, like, get her <laughs> off his roll is to, like, take a power stone and put it into his other face. That's right.
1: That's right. That's what happens, which then leads to, uh, just, I think one of the most iconic moments of this entire franchise, which is Tony putting on the glove and then saying, I am Iron Man. Um, which just killed me on the second time around. Yeah. Like I got so emotional watching it the second time. Cause you know what it means. And I was watching it with a, so I saw it the first time on Thursday night and then I saw it on Friday night. And so the audience, when he said iron, I am Iron Man was like clapping. Like, Woo-hoo! And I was like, guys, he's dead. He's dead. <laughs> just die. Iron Man died. <sighs> died. So sad. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it is a cheerworthy moment, but I think you don't immediately realize like, Oh yeah, that's going to kill him. Yeah, He's going to die. Um, and I think that moment is so beautifully set up with Dr. Strange. I love that moment with him holding up the, the one. Um, and, you know, explaining earlier in the battle, like, I can't tell you if this is the one because then it won't happen. Because he knows to tell Tony that the only one we win is the one in which you sacrifice yourself. Like, would he still make that choice? Yeah. Because Tony – and that makes this, – this is what makes Tony's death so emotional is that he has everything. He's not. He's for once in his life not being selfish. He's being selfless because he already has. He has Pepper and he has his daughter. You know, he lost Peter. He and that clearly upset him. But you know, where everyone else has kind of nothing to lose, he has everything to lose, and he he
0: decides to do it anyway. Well, and not just that, but I think he finally figures out that he can't control everything. Like his his sort of arc through these movies is like if there's a problem. I'll just fix... Like, I'm I'm a mechanic. I'll fix it. So, you know, I put weapons into the world. I'll become a superhero and destroy the weapons. Well, now me becoming a weapon has created, you know, other suits like mine. Okay, I'll just destroy those suits. Or, you know, I'll build Ultron and, like, build a a shell of armor around the world. And what he realizes is that it's not about something he built. Like, it's not a machine that he built that's going to save the world. It's the people. The people will now, like, basically... You know, being surrounded by all these other heroes, this is what he started. Um and he can, you know, as Pepper says, you can rest now. Like it's because yeah. all these other heroes are now there to take to save the world. It's not just him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, you know, his final moments with Peter that that whole relationship with Peter, I think, was really beautifully threaded throughout Spider-Man: Homecoming, Civil War, and and uh, these two movies here, the event, these two Avengers movies, um, and having him be kind of this, uh, you know, the son he never had, because clearly Tony had daddy issues. Um, yeah. So, I think. Robert Downey Jr.'s performance at this movie, it's one of my favorite performances of his. Uh, I just think it's really tremendous. And it made me remember, like, we haven't had a full-on Iron Man movie in a long time. Like, Iron Man 3 was a was a spell ago. Yeah. You know? And I remember after Iron Man 3 came out, all the talk was like, you know, is there going to be an Iron Man 4? And he was like, I don't know. He was like, you know, I may kind of be done. Maybe I'll just be in the Avengers movies or whatever. And so that kind of felt like a goodbye Um And then, you know, obviously he was in Civil War, he was in Homecoming, but those were kind of supporting roles and co-starring roles. And I feel like he finally gets one last starring role to go out on with Endgame.
0: And now we all get to see him in The Voyage of Dr. (laughs) Doolittle. Yes. Yes. Hooray!
1: (laughs) Which, and that funeral scene um, is super sad and super impressive that they got all of those actors uh, on the same set. Most of them, I think Benedict Cumberbatch seemed like he was maybe stitched in there CG, but it seemed like most everyone else was actually there uh, from when they shot that big Marvel group photo. But then (laughs) ending on Nick Fury reminded me like, Oh man, this infinity war saga did Nick Fury really dirty.
0: Here's the, here's the thing. I feel like they know it did him dirty and that's why he's a major part of Captain Marvel and Spider-Man far from home. Yeah. Like, he's a, I, he's, he is a major character in both those movies. I think that Samuel L. Jackson is still pissed off about this. Probably. Probably a little pissed, but, you know.
1: <laughs> no, he's, like, genuinely pissed. He, he he said some comments about Infinity War, and he said, you know, either Nick Fury's the glue that holds them together or he's not. Like, he didn't understand why he wasn't in Infinity War, which is fair. I mean, he's the one who started this team in the beginning. And it's also fair to say that, like, Nick Fury is is – kind of a shitty dude. Like he did some really shady shit to all of the Avengers Uh, and manipulated them. But also, (laughs) I mean, the
0: problem is, is like, like I get where Samuel Jackson is coming from, but what I would say is look at it from a character perspective. What does Nick Fury bring to the table as a character alongside all these other characters? Yeah. You know, like that's the thing. Like Nick Fury is like, is he Nick Fury is great at operating in the shadows and sort of being a darker side of things. And so in Infinity War, like, I don't know what, like, I don't know, like, what you do with him, like, is he calling shots? Is he, like, in one of these little smaller teams? Like, what does he do? And then you don't really need that darker side of things in a grief drama already, when things are yeah. already pretty dark. <laughs> yeah. So I think like, Nick coming and reminding everyone that,
1: you know, remember, guys, everyone is dead and everything is terrible and also right. suck.
0: So I think, like, in Captain Marvel, it makes sense because it's a young, fresh-faced Nick Fury. And, like, it's so different that it feels kind of refreshing. Like, you're like, oh, this is before he became sort of the cloak and dagger guy. And then in Spider-Man Far from, from Home, what it looks like is going to happen is that there's going to be a really fun contrast there between sort of Peter Parker's optimism and Nick Fury's pragmatism. Yeah. And I think that is again another great way to highlight the character, but I just don't know where he fits in in Infinity War and Endgame. I don't know where he fits in, but I can also acknowledge that. I can it yeah, feels I can weird. say I can look, I can fully acknowledge that is that that uh yeah, they definitely made a trade-off. <laughs> with and especially and also to be fair, Samuel Jackson was the first person to sign the 9 film contract. Yeah. He should have gotten a little bit more, but so it goes.
1: Yeah, but it, I mean, they were already kind of phasing him out in Age of Ultron, and he came back in anyway in that movie. Um, and I can't, I can't really recall his significance in that. I know he's at the farm, but I can't really remember. He brings the he, he brings the
0: helicarrier to Sokovia. Ah, uh, that's true. To that's right. Evacuate all the people.
1: But yeah, like the fact remains that he's the one who. I mean, if this is the culmination of it all, he's the one who assembled the Avengers in the first place. He's the one who found them all. Um, and now he's basically glorified cameo so it'll be interesting to see if that's rectified in spider-man homecoming which i assume is a sequel and i assume takes place after endgame but they have not confirmed that
0: yeah i don't know when it takes place either i just know that you know nick fury is a part of it
1: yeah yeah um how do you feel about cap's ending we talked about tony's ending how do you feel about cap's ending
0: it works i think you know back to what we were saying like cap learns to be A little selfish, not like, and it's not selfish. It's just, he learns that he doesn't have to be this perfect selfless guy that if he's going to tell other people, you know, you should live your life. What does that mean for him? You know, in a weird way, he's still frozen in time you know, he's never really belonged in our present day. Not because, I mean, I guess part of it is like we're not good enough for Captain America. I mean, let's just face it, we're not. (laughs) But he just, he didn't belong, like he was a man out of time. Like that was the, that was it. And like Winter Soldier and Civil Wars, like a character with sort of his resolute, you know, morality doesn't fit as well into the gray areas that the 21st century demands. And I think that, you know him deciding you know i'm going to go back and i'm going to be with peggy yes it raises logistical questions like did he take on a different identity you know did he still help people like yes those are important questions but as the end point to captain america's story i think it works really well i think it is it is a soldier coming home it and yeah. who a soldier who has fought in multiple wars <laughs> Coming home, and I think it's okay for soldiers to come home. Hot take. <laughs> and he deserves it. Yeah, Cap deserves it. Let him be selfish. Like, for a and while. look, it'd be another thing if like the Marvel Cinematic Universe was like really gritty and being like it's not about deserving. Like, but it is. Like, it it's, it's a it's a world where things are fair and mm-hmm. good. Thing, and good things happen. Like, if you want entertainment that tells you otherwise, it exists, but it's not this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a I thought it was a nice send off. I really and and in hindsight, I mean, everyone went in ex- expecting you know Endgame. A lot of people are going to die in the big battle. Probably, I think that would have been the wrong way to go. I think the way they did it, you know, Black Widow dies at the like what hour and a half mark, so halfway through, she's the first major death. It gives that death weight. Uh, Tony dies at the end of the battle. He's the only major death in the battle. It gives that death weight. He gets a funeral. Um, and then Cap doesn't die, Cap gets a an ending, a send-off, and that gets its own thing. Whereas if you had had, like, you know, Tony dies in the battle, but also, uh, you know, Nebula and Mantis, then it would have been like, well, you know, we have time for Tony's funeral, but we only have time for, like, you know, a 45-second shot of, you know, Drax mourning Mantis or something, so... It would have cheapened those deaths. I think that they they found the right way to end these three major storylines.
0: Well not just that, but you don't go to a Marvel movie for just slaughter. <laughs> no. No. Like when I watch Game of Thrones, I expect people to die. <laughs> like that's the show that's what that show is. Yeah. Marvel is different. And so honestly, if like if Mantis had died, I'd be like, That seems a little extreme. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's excessive. That seems a little bit much. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair.
1: So and then I guess Falcon is our Captain America now, which but like is it, I guess is that Disney Plus show Captain America and the Winter, Winter Soldier now? I mean, right now they
0: I don't know if they've changed the name from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, maybe they called it that to, you know, obviously not spoil anything. Yeah. But it could I guess it could now be Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. We'll so. see. That'll be fun. Um so, uh, is there anything else we want to talk about Endgame, or should we move on to our top 10?
1: Uh, well, I know you want to talk a bit, a little bit about
0: the future. Oh yeah. Go. Let's talk a little bit about the future. So you put together a really good article, sort of these upcoming Marvel movies that nothing has been scheduled yet. I predict that Marvel will come to Comic-Con and do a big victory lap. since yeah. Comic-Con was like sort of their launching point for Iron Man. Um, and there is when they'll say like, you know, they they will officially announce movies that we know are in development and they yeah. will probably give them release dates, which, by the way, they already have release dates. They're just down as untitled Marvel movie. So we don't know which movie goes where. But, you know, there's a Black Widow movie, which we have to now assume is a prequel, which is yes. fine. Like there's stuff in her past um, and Black Widow. And it, it feels like my only problem with it is that it feels a little late. <laughs> yes. We should have had a Black Widow long before movie long before now. Um, there's the Eternals, which Chloe Zhao is doing, and that's casting up right now. There is Black Panther 2. There's Doctor Strange 2. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 will happen after James Gunn finishes on the Suicide Squad. So that's a little ways down the line. Um, there's the Disney Plus series, but movies. Am I missing anything? Those are kind of the main
1: ones. I mean, right now for 2020, Marvel has a release date set for May 1st um, for, uh, let's see, uh, November 6th. So it looks like there are only two, unless I'm reading it wrong. Um, yeah so only two release dates set for next year may and november we know that black widow is already casting as getting ready to start shooting with so we have to assume that that's the may 2021 although should be noted that that date was supposed to be guardians of galaxy volume 3 which was supposed to be uh start filming at the beginning of this year and then james gun firing kind of uh, threw that out of whack but that kind of explains why the end of end game like kind of the biggest takeaway in terms of the future i guess is probably oh Thor is with the Guardians of the Galaxy now, and they're searching for Gamora. That's as, kind of the be As Guardians
0: tease. of the Galaxy. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. And that's kind of the biggest tease that we get for anything upcoming um, at the end of this movie. And that's because originally the plan was, uh, you know, the next movie after Spider Man Homecoming was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, uh, which I guess Thor is probably in now. I mean, we don't have that confirmation we yet. You
0: don't have that confirmation, but I think it would be a really great move. Yeah. I think it'd be super smart.
1: Um, And then the next one that's furthest along after Black Widow, um, which, uh, you know, reports had already swirled that it was going to be tracking kind of her assassin stuff before the events of the Avengers. Uh, The next one that's furthest along is The Eternals, which has Chloe Zhao directing uh, and Angelina Jolie and Kumail Nanjiani uh, already cast or in star. So with casting already underway on that, that probably starts shooting at the end of this year or in the fall um and that's probably our November 2020 Marvel movie uh, is the Eternals um, and then Shang-Chi they just
0: uh, Oh, I forgot Shang-Chi. That was my yeah. mistake.
1: They just got a director for that. That's uh, you know that's going to be their first Asian-led superhero movie. The plan is to do kind of a uh, kind of basically pull a Black Panther, uh, fill it out with a cast of mostly Asian leads. They got an Asian American director, uh, Destin Daniel Cretton who directed Short Term 12. Uh, And they'll be, you know, uh, making a a full-on kung fu movie with that. So that'll be interesting. Um, And then, as you say, sequels to Doctor Strange, Black Panther, and Guardians are the ones we know of. Uh, And Ryan Coogler's back to write and direct Black Panther 2. And I think Scott Derrickson's coming back for Doctor Strange, too.
0: Which is a bit of a bummer, but...
1: (laughs) I love Doctor Strange in these Avengers movies, uh, not so much in his solo movie. But it'll be curious. I mean, it's very... I think right now it's very clear at the end of this movie that the uh, quote-unquote leads of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward are going to be Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, and Spider-Man.
0: I would say yes to most of those. Spider-Man still seems on the fence. Like, I think I in an ideal world, they would like him to be one. But the the question is, is, can you re-up with Sony? That's true. Yeah, that's true. That that deal, I think,
1: ends with Spider-Man Far From Home. So they have to re-up. And if Sony is, as we've discussed, we Sony's made so many bad Spider-Man decisions in the past, we can uh, very much see them being like, nah, we got it from here. We don't need your help. Now
0: Spider-Man's going to meet Venom.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we don't need Marvel Studios producing these anymore. Um, We got it.
0: So. Yeah. It was fun while it lasted, kids. (laughs) Yeah. Never forget that Tom Rothman is bad at his job. (laughs) Tom Rothman, who's like, the X-Men won't be a thing. Tom Rothman, who's like, why would I want a movie called Ted from Seth MacFarlane? (laughs) Just really just winners all around from Tom Rothman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll see how that all turns out, but I definitely think, yeah, that Captain Marvel, Dr. Strange and Black Panther are kind of the new leads, the fresh blood of, uh, of the, of the MCU. Yeah. In Guardians
1: three, I mean, James Gunn has always said that that's kind of the end of his Guardians trilogy and the end of that group. As we know it, I'll be very curious to see what that ending looks like, especially when you have Thor in the equation, because those movies have been very emotionally grounded. Um, so like, then do you have to juggle Thor as a co-lead? Will Will Chris Hemsworth settle for being a supporting actor? Which to me, it sounds like he probably would. So, who knows?
0: I think if you know if you give him something interesting to do and let him play off Chris Pratt and the other Guardians, you know, I think you have something fun and new there.
1: What a ride! What what a ride! If Thor ends up being like the same as like Drax in Guardians: of the Galaxy <laughs> Volume Three, <laughs> and it's just like that's the trajectory of the character, and everyone's on board with it.
0: I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we haven't mentioned is the Fox deal. Yes, that's true. Remember so, when everyone was like, guys, 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 guys the X Men are going to show up in Avengers Endgame? It's really fun when people who have no idea how filming or Hollywood or business works chime in. <laughs> hey, guys. Wouldn't it be great when Wolverine shows up? First off, let's assume that happened. (laughs) No one would know who that is in the Marvel universe. Like, you would know, but people are like, uh, who's this guy with claws coming out of his hands?
1: Or if, like, best case scenario, they cast, like, some super well-known actor like Brad Pitt to play a grizzled Wolverine showing up. Everyone's like, wait, what?
0: Yeah. I'm over here trying to be
1: emotional about, like, Cap and stuff, and here's, like, this whole new franchise starting.
0: Yeah, that's... So here, here's the big issue, and I, uh, there was an article on Vox that made this, really, this point really well. It's really tough to actually put the X-Men into the MCU as it stands, because the X-Men in the comics start in the 1960s, and they're, and you know the movies up to this point have started, that conflict starts in the 60s. You know, Magneto is a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. But these characters in the MCU can't have been around for decades, or if they are, they have to have been living underground. Mm-hmm. Because they're basically you said, oh, wait, there were a bunch of superpowered people and they don't do anything that kind of already takes the wind out of their sail. So I think what's going to happen when they do introduce the X-Men, is going to be like some sort of, you know, mutation. Yeah. Starts popping up and like there will probably be a Professor X and a Magneto, but they'll be new. They won't have been like around forever and never, like for decades. You know, they might be... You know, who knows how it's going to develop. But I would say the X-Men are very tricky. I, I mean, because again, the MCU started and they never they never thought they'd get, you know, you know, these characters back. They didn't yeah. know in 2008 that Disney... that First off, Marvel wasn't a part of Disney in 2008. They These no. movies were distributed by Paramount. Yeah. Okay? So they didn't know they'd be a part of Disney and they certainly didn't know that Disney would buy Fox and then therefore all the X-Men characters would then be available to them. Yeah. So the X-Men are really difficult to actually put into the MCU. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think there's a reason Kevin Feige's like, you're not seeing them for at least five years. Because I think that's, that's a really good point.
1: Uh, and I think now that you say that, that's kind of the only way you can do it is introduce it new, but I
0: also think that's smart. Cause there have been so many x Yeah. You, first off, you also have to let it cool down. I also think dark Phoenix is going to be bad. So <laughs> I think, I think it's a good idea to just let things kind of, you cool. know, cool off. I do think – and there will be an article. I'm going to keep plugging articles on the site because <laughs> that's how I make my money, kids. <laughs> um, I do think there's a lot of potential for a Fantastic Four movie because that basic story still works within the MCU, which is, you know, this these four astronauts go into space and they get powers. Like, that works any time. And – Fantastic Four hasn't really landed in the way that it could have. Like, I don't think Tim Story's original Fantastic Four movie was bad. I was expecting it to be a fucking train wreck. Uh, nowadays, it just feels very dated and weird. Um, but no one's really done Fantastic Four right. Certainly not the the recent reboot, which was not great. Yeah. Um, so I think Fantastic Four is probably... Not just a great way to sort of introduce a new team to the Marvel Universe, but also now that Tony Stark is gone, you need another super smart guy. And like there are other smart guys like Doctor Strange and what have you, but you need like a smart science guy who's also like a regular guy in a way. And that's Reed Richards, who is different. Like he's not a cocky guy, but he's very much sort of, you know, science is my thing. And I think bringing him into the fold and then the other Fantastic Four characters really allows you to do something that hasn't been done in the MCU so far.
1: Yeah, I think that'd be really cool um, to bring Fantastic Four back in. And I think that most people just didn't watch the recent reboot. So I don't think there's that. With Dark Phoenix, I do think you have to kind of let it uh, sit for a little bit because those movies have been going on for so long. Um, and they're so fresh in the minds of people, you have to let people kind of, uh, forget a little bit, but that fantastic four reboot is already so forgettable <laughs> aside from Kate Mara's reshoots wig.
0: Yeah. Like most people have no attachment to fantastic four where people do have attachment to the X-Men. Yeah. So I think fantastic four is a much better starting point if you want to start <laughs> digging into those Fox properties Mm-hmm. for sure. Um, okay. So with that, do you want to start running down your top 10? Let's
1: do it. All right. Why not? I need more reasons for people to yell at me on the internet.
0: There's, you never have enough reasons. For that. <laughs> uh, so, it,
1: uh, so at number 10, I have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, uh, which I find delightful uh, and colorful and emotionally resonant.
0: Um, yeah, that one is I, I have that on my list, but not at number 10. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, My number 10 is something that I know is way higher up on your list. It's Iron Man 3. Yes. It's so good. It's so and... good. Um the only reason it isn't higher is because Iron Man like kills veterans. <laughs> and I don't think they never <laughs> The only reason it isn't higher is
1: because Iron Man like kills veterans.
0: He does, and I support the troops. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> It's true. It's your
1: share in America moment. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. And to be clear, like this list of top 10 is just like the 10 movies I enjoy the most. I'm not making any like objective judgments as like this movie is objectively better than these other movies. Well, it's all,
0: it's art. It's all subjective. <laughs> yeah. You, we, just, I don't go into a lab and like work on a formula that then comes to a definitive answer.
1: Yeah. But so like all this to say, spoiler alert, uh, the Winter Soldier and Civil War will not be on my list because I don't really enjoy those movies that much. They're fine. Um, at number nine, I have Spider-Man Homecoming, which is just a delight. Mm. Uh, Tom Holland is one of the best things to happen to the MCU.
0: Uh, for me at number nine, I have Thor Ragnarok. That is also on my list. <laughs> and that's super
1: fun and colorful. <laughs> the fun ones are the ones that are on my list mostly. Um I have it. So I have at number eight, The Avengers, which uh, I initially thought would be higher. But as I said, I was watching a little bit of it this weekend. And I think that in like Endgame and Infinity War kind of retroactively make that movie worse hmm. because uh, it, it's well, mostly relating to Thor because he's just so unrecognizable. It feels like a completely different character. And I also think that costumes are kind of silly uh, in The Avengers, but it's still a ton of fun. Um, it's a really fun and enjoyable film, but it just seems kind of quaint. Um, but I still think Loki is the best villain of the entire MCU.
0: Okay. He's still, All right. but, but yeah, it's, it's weird. Go back and watch it now. It's I very- have, I watched it like a couple of weeks ago. It's great. And <laughs> it, it didn't did it come off as weird. No, I mean, it's different. Like, but it, yep. you know, it Thor's character still works because I still, he's still kind of a fish out of water guy. Yeah, Like if you're like, oh, I'm from Asgard and like, I don't know, he's sort of been humanized over the years. Yeah. I can kind of roll with it. Sure. Um, for me, number my number eight is Age of Ultron, which I think is a film that kind of gets a bad rap. Um, but as you and I have discussed on our MCU miniseries, it's a really interesting movie. It is. It makes that some mean, bold swings. Really bold swings. That almost made my list. Um, but
1: it didn't maybe ask me tomorrow. It's on my list. Um, sure. but I, I really dig that movie too. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's very weird and ambitious and strange, which are the kinds of Marvel movies I like. Whereas something like the winter soldier is not very weird. It's not very strange. And it's not even that ambitious. It's just kind of a, you know, it's just another action thriller to me. <laughs> I know, I know. Sacrilege. Um, number seven for me is captain America, the first Avenger, uh, which I know well, a lot of people don't like this movie,
0: which is weird to me. Like I, it's so like good and old fashioned and like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I maybe don't know. That's why maybe I guess it's not like snarky enough. I don't know, but it is like, it still has comedy. Like Tommy Lee Jones is like saying lines that Joss Whedon clearly wrote. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like why people are not, I've heard some people like it say it has third act problems. I don't think it does. Um, I don't know. I don't know what people have against it. I really don't. It's
1: kind of like the closest the MCU has gotten to like an Indiana Jones movie to me.
0: Yeah. It's, Um, I mean, it's, Joe Johnston is very good at the, that sort of old fashioned entertainment. Yeah. Which is exactly what you need if your movie is set in the 1940s. Yeah. Like I would actually, if, if, if Captain America, the first Avenger being set in the forties was more modern, I would actually be kind of against it. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, I find that movie super interesting and, and super satisfying and really sad at the end. Uh, and I think it's the most successful ro- romantic relationship in the entire MCU, which is Cap and Peggy.
0: Yeah. Um, my number seven is Endgame. I have really, like I saw it, like I was kind of hesitant about like, where do I place it? Will it hold up on a repeat viewing? And it held up very well. Yeah. Um, and so I'm eager to see it again in IMAX, which I haven't seen it in yet. But I'm, I'm confident putting that in my top ten.
1: I am as well. It's my number five ah. uh, right now. Uh, I just It's just so satisfying uh, on pretty much every level. Uh, I just find it a, a really satisfying movie. Uh, and number six uh, on my list is Iron Man 3. Um, so, yeah, my number five is Avengers Endgame.
0: All right. My number six is Black Panther, which I, I love the idea of Black Panther. And I love, I think it is probably arguably the best directed of any of the Marvel movies. The only thing that kind of prevents it from being higher is that I don't like that it, like, I really don't want to ever see another Marvel movie where it's like a guy in the suit fights another version of, like, fights the bad guy who also has a version of his suit. And, like, I just, I'm so tired of it. I just think in that climax of the film, kind of the more interesting ideas get set aside for a familiar battle. And I just kind of have to swallow it and be like, all right, (laughs) uh kind of i
1: mean it, uh, it's on my list it's higher to me that the the cgi suit battle stuff like isn't even that significant because they take their helmets off while the trains are getting ready to go by and they're just they're talking they're having these dialogue moments so you, to me i don't really get that criticism because it's not even that much you know punching in suits um you know to my recollection i just find that movie really satisfying uh, on
0: a thematic level yeah, I think it works really well. It's just there there are certain Marvel beats that rear their head that yeah. I feel like make it less special. Like it sure. kind of, in a weird way, it's kind of like in, you know, sort of like in the first Guardians where it's like, oh, the big thing is falling out of the sky. Like around that you have a really interesting movie, but like, oh, it's the familiar Marvel beat. Yeah. That's sort of draining this movie of the uniqueness that it strives for. No,
1: I get it. That makes sense. Um, I just. Yeah. I find it very satisfying, I and the it. fact that i is—I'm not, with... not going to go out
0: here tearing down Black Panther.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, to me, what makes up for it is—is is the you know Killmonger's dying scene. He's talking about slaves, yeah, and uh, how he would rather um, you know be buried at the in the ocean with slaves than you know be buried and given a Wakandan burial. Um, so that's very touching.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, and my number five is Winter Soldier, which. If I set aside the hype surrounding it, it's still a film I really enjoy because i I like the Captain America character, and I like how this movie challenges him and reinforces who he is. I think as a Captain America film, Winter Soldier is very good.
1: I would agree that the character stuff in that movie I like a lot the thriller stuff to me just gets really boring really quickly sure. um but I like the I like the character stuff with him and uh his niece maybe getting it on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's not his niece. He did. Maybe, Carter, maybe, I, maybe. Now know. that now that the timeline is all screwy. Yeah. You all, right. Know. all right. All right.
1: Getting, uh, getting a John and Daenerys. Um, Ugh,
0: let's not do that.
1: <laughs> uh, my number four is Thor Ragnarok. Okay. Which talked about before, I just find it a supremely rewatchable movie. Um, just so much fun and so delightful and silly and. And, uh, and also like, I think it's also grounded in, in some, some solid emotional resonance where Thor really does care about his people and Asgard.
0: That's fair. Um, my number four is Guardians of the Galaxy volume two, which I just find in, it's all character, very little plot, but the character stuff is so freaking good. Yeah. Um. That I'm just completely with it. It's a movie that ends on a crying raccoon. Like what more? <laughs> like it's yeah. just to me. Like if Guardians of the film that like is James Gunn saying like I can do this. Like Guardians two is just them being like you can do it, and he just does whatever he wants, but it works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh. Yeah. That one's at my number ten, uh, and I I really enjoy that movie. Yeah. Um. My number three is the first Iron Man.
0: Same. Which- Still holds up so well It really does It's just a great start You know, especially for such a risky film That had no script um, It's amazing it works as well as it does
1: Yeah And all of the all of the, it's, it's the little moments that make that movie special It's Tony Stark wanting a cheeseburger It's uh, him having everyone sit down During the press conference and having a chat uh, It's Jeff Bridges' line delivery <laughs> Of pretty much everything Uh, that's the stuff that made it stand out to me. I mean, it's really doesn't have much action in it at all. Third act is, uh, you know, nothing special. Um, but I also think it's really crushing to, to see that kind of mentor relationship turn into a, a hero villain relationship. I think that that's still, uh, really satisfying to watch. Um, and then of course, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. So,
0: yeah. Um, So what do you have at number two? My number two is the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's my number 11. Okay. Just missed the top 10. That movie still
1: holds up really, really well for me. Um, I love the idea of this family coming together. Um, Also supremely enjoyable, um, really rewatchable, really fun. Um, But, uh, you know... Again, if Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two ends with a crying raccoon, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One uh, begins with a boy's mother dying of cancer, given to her by his alien father.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, like,
1: these movies are crazy.
0: They really uh, are.
1: But yeah that that movie is just uh, really special to me.
0: Uh, my number two is The Avengers, which, as I said, I think it still holds up. I find it just very rewatchable. Like, it's just something that I just enjoy. And I, I think, you know, it's just impressive. Like, that's the one that are like, is this going to work? Yeah. We have a bunch of different franchises. We're going to put them in the same movie. Is this going to work? And also, we've seen how hard it is for that to work. So many others have, like, attempted it and just fallen flat. Like, they never even got to the Avengers stage. Yeah. So, I mean, but for the—so for the Avengers to work as well as it does, bringing in all these disparate personalities, and for Joss Whedon to realize, you know, the thing to do here isn't to be like, we're a team instantaneously, but to rather have them butt heads and, you know, show that conflict really makes everything richer.
1: Yeah. No, it's— It's really fun. It's one that I think is going to diminish, diminish in hindsight because it's going to be so dwarfed by everything else. As I said, it was a little hard for me to watch just because everything feels so different and quaint uh, now. But you can't deny the the um, satisfying setup and payoff throughout that entire movie.
0: Yeah. Um, and what's your number one? My number one is Black Panther. Okay.
1: That's my favorite. That's uh seen it three or four times now. Uh, it's super fun to watch, super enjoyable to watch. Um, from a filmmaking perspective, I just love technically what Ryan Coogler achieved there. Uh, thematically it's so rich and resonant and ambitious, uh, that one, that one I just really enjoy.
0: Yeah. Um, for me, it's Captain America, the first Avenger, which again, people are against, but Whatever. It's to me, it is the, like, if you're going to make movies about superheroes, this is the one that feels the most heroic and the most character driven in its own universe that stands apart and has the most emotional moments. Um, it just is the movie I enjoy watching the most out of all of them.
1: It's a lot of fun. Um, and that's what, again, I don't really understand why people don't like it, but, uh, and it's got Stanley Tucci. Come on. Yeah. Don't,
0: don't go against the tooch. Come on. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's wrap things up uh, with uh, recently watched. What have you seen lately? Uh,
1: so for my recently watched, I actually wanted to talk about a podcast. Um, oh, ooh. Uh, So I recently discovered, I mean, I knew it existed. It started in January. um, Conan O'Brien's Conan Needs a Friend podcast, which he started uh, in the lead up to the revamp of his show on TBS. His late night show uh, is, is now been cut down to a half an hour. He doesn't wear suits. There's no monologue. It's just a couch uh, and a guest. And uh, it's kind of more laid back, more loose. This podcast, I was just very curious about it and I had heard really good things about it. It's, maybe one of my favorite things Conan has ever done. Uh, It's very clear that he wants to have like genuinely engaging, thoughtful, insightful conversations with the guests that he has on them. And uh, they lead to just some really enjoyable conversations. Um, The Adam Sandler one is really fun and interesting. And it's clear that they're friends in real life. uh, And they kind of talk about SNL and they talk about uh, their relationship and then you have something like the one with Stephen Colbert where they commiserate um, over late night and and kind of the stress of the job and how they sometimes want to quit and uh, feel like there's just like absolutely no way they can do it. And it it's really fun to listen to them talk about this because it's clear they hadn't really talked in depth about this before. And both of them realizing that they're talking to one of the very few people on Earth who understands where they've been and the situation they've been in. Um, that conversation also delves into religion in a really interesting way, as they were both raised Catholic. Um, and then you get something like his conversation with Timothy Oliphant, which is amazing in that it's an entire hour, and they talk about absolutely nothing. Like It's just so funny. They continue... Uh, on these weird tangents and they succeed in literally not talking about a single topic. Like there is not anything promoted that they discuss. They never hit upon it. Um, and it's really fun. And it's also one of the only podcasts that I'll actually listen to the advertisements in it. Um, the advertisements are set up as uh, Conan O'Brien pays off the mortgage on his beach house. Uh, and he is essentially improving um, you know new material with the with this ad copy that he has to read and it's really fun so if you haven't listened to it i highly suggest checking it out um a couple of the standouts for me have been uh the stephen colbert one uh the adam sandler one and the Tim, timothy oliphant one um and i'm working my way through it the lisa Kudrow one is really good as well uh conan, conan and lisa go way way back um It's just a really fun, insightful, engaging, hilarious at times, moving at times, emotional at times, raw at times conversation. And as someone who kind of grew up loving Conan on late night and uh, who, uh, you know, I was – pretty dismayed by what happened to him with The Tonight Show. That was kind of a, a really harrowing experience that clearly changed him. And I don't think he was ever the same after it. And his TBS show is fine, but it, it never really has risen to that level before. This is the best thing he's done in years. And it feels like he's very happy doing it and feels very creatively free uh, doing this podcast. So I'd highly suggest checking it out.
0: Yeah, I would I'd be happy to see Conan happy again because even <laughs> on his like if you've seen the documentary, have you seen the documentary Conan O'Brien yeah. Can't Stop? Where yeah. he's just like it's it's just one man's descent into misery, which is basically for those who haven't seen it. He's just been laid off from The Tonight Show and he's like, I'm going to do the not legally allowed to prepare to perform on television show. Like basically he's going to go on tour and do a bunch of live shows. And you can see him getting increasingly miserable (laughs) as he does this, like basically tries to reassert some form of control over his creative and professional life. And it's not like he just it's just you can see how much it drains him. So the fact that he's doing something that's making him happy is is good.
1: He and Colbert talk about uh, uh, some stuff from that documentary as well. And it's really interesting. That Colbert interview is really, really good.
0: I will I will I will make a point to download it after we finish recording.
1: Yeah. It's
0: nice um so uh, for me um i recently watched uh, mostly it's been marvel movies but my wife and i we took some time out to watch the other boleyn girl which we didn't think would be good and we were right um <laughs> it's based off the philippa uh, philippa gregory book which is technically chronicling um henry the eighth's relationship uh with both Anne boleyn who's played by natalie portman and her quote-unquote Plain sister Mary played by Scarlett Johansson. Because when I think <laughs> of a plain woman, I think of Scarlett Johansson. Um, the it's, I mean, it's setting aside just how historically inaccurate it is, it's just not very well done. Like, it doesn't seem to know who the story is really about. Is it about Mary? Is it about Anne? Um, is it about their father who is played by Mark Rylance? Like, th- th- by the way, this movie has a deep bench of talent. It has Mark Rylance, it has Eddie Redmayne, it has. Eric Bana, it has Kristen Scott Thomas. Uh it it's, it has Benedict Cumberbatch. Like it's weird like the people that show up in 2008 before they've hit it big. I don't include Mark Rylance in that because he's been like a Broadway, you know, a stage legend forever. But um it's an interesting cast in just uh a really bad movie. The costumes are good because Sandy Powell does amazing costumes, but the film itself is really quite poor. <laughs> um, if you're looking for your, for your Henry the eighth drama fix, you know, you can go elsewhere. Uh, it was not very good and it's, it's leaving Netflix like in two days. So nothing will be missed. <laughs> So that, that's what we watched. I didn't want to just be like, let me tell you more about another Marvel movie when we've been talking about Marvel movies nonstop for like a month.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. I have also been uh, um, watching more Marvel movies, so. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam Work, we find you on Twitter. At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.